Welcome to Untangle, the meditation podcast from Gaim. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, Emily Fletcher interviews her dear friend, Ellie Burroughs. Ellie is the co-founder and CEO of Mindful, that's M-N-D-F-L, a New York City meditation studio that features a range of teachers and classes that make meditation very accessible to New York's stressed-out culture. Ellie shares what led her to open the studio, her life before New York City as a filmmaker, storyteller, and personal development coach, and why Mindful, the studio, is the most satisfying work she's ever done. Before we begin, though, we'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback on our podcast, let us know at untangle at guyam.com. Now, here's Ellie's story. Hi, friends. And hello, Ellie Burroughs. Hi, friends. <laughs> uh, if you haven't yet read about or met Ellie, you're in for a real treat. I feel like you're getting so much press right now, which I'm thrilled about. I mean, from Vogue to the New York Times, everyone is writing about Mindful and you and this incredible wave of meditation that's happening, which is, I think, I wouldn't say overdue. It feels like it's right on time. I agree. Right on time. Yeah, right on time. (laughs) And good job to you for just sort of hitting it at the magic time. Thank you. And congratulations on Mindful. So you've opened New York City's very first drop-in meditation studio. I've had the great honor of teaching there. I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's stunning. I think it's the most beautiful meditation studio in New York, and I have a meditation studio. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so good Very job. Very praise. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so you guys are growing so quickly. It's so exciting. What's been the most fun part about opening Mindful? I think watching something basically manifest from nothing. It started with a tea with Lodro, and I was just really struggling with my own practice. I was like, how come there's no place I can go? When I when we were having that conversation initially, I never thought in a million years we'd actually open the doors to a studio. That wasn't the point of the conversation. The point was to ask a friend for help. And so once we started talking about it and I realized that like it might be possible, um, Lodra and I sat with it for a couple months. And then I met someone who helped us write a business proposal. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, like, maybe this is really going to happen. And we went to go see spaces and then it, we found a space, the second space we looked at on the first day. And then we're like, okay, well maybe we need to raise some money now. And it really happened. So one foot in front of the other and watching something truly emerge from nothing, from just a conversation has been the most extraordinary and rewarding thing. That and definitely the humans who come into the space and experience the space and walk out with smiles on their faces or come up and say, you know, this is the first time I've ever been consistent in a practice because I have somewhere to go and humans to meditate with. Mm. That's been pretty, that's been pretty deeply satisfying. Those probably, probably those things are neck and neck. Oh, so what kind of people are coming into the studio? All New Yorkers, all shapes and sizes, all colors, all genders, all sexual orientations. Every single human that you see in New York City um, is welcome in our space and might even walk through our doors. I was like really geared up to have this like morning business and our evenings are actually super popular. So people see it as a way sometimes to unwind or set an intermission between their workday and their evening plans. And so that's been probably the most surprising 
thing is when people choose to meditate, not who's coming in, but what times appeal to certain people. And then after work, sure, like refill, recharge so that you can be a human person for the rest of your personal life. Totally. Like especially New Yorkers, we leave it all on the stage. You know, we give 90% of our energy to our jobs and then we just come home and put on our sweats and we're like, hey, honey. I feel like Um, meditation gives you that that second or third wind. Yeah. And I mean, also when we were actually, I don't know if people who are listening know the story, but when we were looking to bring on teachers, I really connected to you when we sat down with Lodro and I really felt that one of us needed to learn what Vedic meditation was if we were going to have a meditation studio, you know, that featured all styles and traditions. Um, So I learned with you and it was such a beautiful experience and it stuck like glue. I have to say I really feel very honored by that because now you you have access to basically (laughs) the city's best and brightest (laughs) and all different lineages. And, you know, everyone finds their teacher and everyone finds the style that resonates with them. But I'm so glad that that Ziva stuck for you and that it's been um, I know how challenging it can be opening a business. Mm. And so I'm glad that it's given you some support through this incredible but I'm sure challenging time. Yeah, it's it's been probably the best piece of support other than like loved ones again humans we have to always give the humans in our lives credit but you know there's this ongoing joke about yoga studio owners that the yoga studio owner never gets to practice and it's super important that Lodra and I are practicing every day like that it's important that we're living you know whatever it is that we're teaching human beings in the space and honoring that and so um, even when it's probably been the hardest to have consistency in practice, we really make it a super priority to do it. And it's made all the difference. Good. And I think that's why, you know, things are flowing so elegantly. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you find the space on the first day and when you get the money faster than you expected and when the, when the classes sell out faster than you could have anticipated, to me, that's like a little winks from nature being like, hey, you've been paying attention to me. I'm going to pay attention to you. Totally. And we're really bringing meditation to human beings and trying to make them more loving, compassionate, open-hearted, present beings. And so, you know, I think that's a pretty good agenda. (laughs) So I'd love to just learn more about you, Mm. even though we've become pretty fast friends. I feel like I really know a lot about you in this iteration of Ellie Burroughs, but I'd love to learn, you know, where did you grow up? I know you were a film executive. (laughs) I know you were, you know, a real um, arse kicker. (laughs) And so I'd just like to hear, you know, what was your childhood like? How did you get into the film industry? And then what inspired you? To switch into meditation? Um, I had a really happy childhood for the most part. My mom was super sick growing up. So Ooh, I've never done this interview before. How old were you when your mom got sick? She was sick before I was born. So she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and she's pregnant with my older sister. And, you know, everyone told her not to have kids because it advances, it progresses the disease, but she wanted children so badly. So she ended up having three of us. Wow. Um, and I was always the child that loved the things you couldn't see. So I liked Hebrew school and I liked crystals and books about witches and astrology when I was nine, you know, (laughs) and most people wanted like princess books. I was like, I was the girl with the weird shelf of books. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I was always kind of into sort of the mystical, magical things you couldn't see in life. And, you know, when I went into high school, I went to a really hardcore prep school in LA called Harvard Westlake. And I kind of lost a little bit of that because it was so we were so focused on school and getting into college. And so I really learned a really serious work ethic at the high school I went to. And then after I graduated, I went got into Northwestern. Um, I went for film. My father is in the entertainment business. And I thought that 
that's what I was going to do. You grew up in L.A. It's like you're going to be in the entertainment business, a doctor or a lawyer. like Or in porn. Or in porn, sure. <laughs> or in restaurants. But, like, that's pretty much what's available to you. Yeah. And it's not that I wasn't curious about other things. I think I was just on autopilot. I didn't really stop to ask myself, is this something I love? It was something I grew up with. So I just assumed that I loved it. You know, the way you sometimes love other things you grew up with. It was at Northwestern where I really discovered that I loved learning, like in a real way, and I committed myself to learning. And the more knowledge, the better. And um, when I graduated, I spoke at my graduation. And for me, that was like a moment of, oh, I arrived. And um, right from there, I went right into the William Morris mailroom. So straight from the top all the way to the bottom. <laughs> so William Morris is a really big talent agency yeah. in Los Angeles. Actually, I did it here in New York. Oh, um, okay. So I packed up my bags from Northwestern, knew that L.A. was like always somewhere that would be waiting for me if I ever wanted to return to it. But my older sister had moved here and I wanted to follow in her footsteps. Mm-hmm. So she informed that decision. And I moved to New York City with many of my friends who went to Northwestern went right into the agency mailroom and delivered mail um, for four weeks, pushing my little mail cart on the 15th floor of 1325 Avenue of the Americas. So what did you learn in that mailroom? Like, what was it like getting in that agency? Yeah, so I had gone to Israel my senior year of college, and um, I befriended a soldier who had told me that he had a cousin who was big into the film business in, in New York. And I said whatever. He has no idea what he's talking about. He lives in Israel. I'm from LA. Like, I've never heard of this person. Like, super, totally 21. You know, yeah. know it all. And um, one day around Halloween, I was pushing my mail cart at William Morris, and this little girl comes out in this costume. And I talk to her, and she walks out of the film agent's office. And at the time, there was only one film agent in the whole, like, New York office. And it was kind of this, the desk that everyone was sort of clobbering for, because it was an opportunity to work with writers and directors. Um, and so I gave her some like licorice cause it was Halloween. I went home, didn't think anything of it. And that night I got an email from my friend in Israel and he was like, oh, my new baby cousin was just born. You have a new neighbor. And I opened the photo and it was the girl I had met that day holding her newborn baby sister. So I picked up the phone. I called Yoni and I was like, is this girl's name Natasha? Is her mother Leora Rosenberg? She works in my office. And he was like, yes, that's insane. And the next day I walked into Leora's office and I said, I'm a really dear friend of Yoni's. Um, I really love film and this is the desk I'd like to work on. And she goes, you're hired. And it was sort of a really also incredibly, in my opinion, mystical way of of getting oneself out of the mailroom. Wow. <laughs> so it was a pretty wild experience. And I worked there for a year for her and I learned the most incredible administrative skills. Um, and I use them to this day in the studio. I wrote Leora a thank you note a couple weeks ago, just saying thank you so much for everything I learned mm-hmm. on your desk. I still am using that same level of customer service and those skill sets, the way I write emails, the way I talk to human beings. I learned a lot of that working for you. So thank you. Um, because when you're an assistant, I mean, you're just constantly in service to the clients and you want to do the best work you can do and make your boss super happy and be there for them and have their back. And it's a real grind. So you learn to function under a certain level of pressure and with a certain level of precision. Um, And then after a year of working for her, I left and worked for Ted Hope, who's like one of the daddy of independent filmmaking in New York City. He now is the head of Amazon Studios. It's crazy going from this is that to Amazon. I'm sure he's up to some pretty amazing things. And uh, I did that for a couple years and then had a little bit of a health issue that landed me in the office of Dr. Frank Littman, who's a big functional medicine doctor here. I, I was just experiencing like 
pain in my body in different places. And um, anything I tried, like, didn't really help. And so we started changing my diet and doing acupuncture. And I was exploring different mindfulness techniques, never with a teacher, which I think is the problem. (laughs) Isn't that so funny? We all just think we should know how to meditate. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, it's that skill that everyone learned in school and I missed that day. And so I'm just not going to tell anyone that I don't know how to meditate and I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. And then we all feel like we're failing and then we get frustrated and quit. It's like, you guys, meditation is like any other skill. Uh Uh-huh. Takes a little bit of training and And, a good teacher. And a really good teacher. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, you know, I was like – I would start by just like sitting by myself and focusing on my breath and it was super challenging. And then I started watching videos online and I just like struggled with this practice. Like I had enough knowledge to keep doing it and trying it and struggling with it. Um, But that's how I ended up essentially approaching Lodro is I was having a lot of trouble with consistency in my own house. It takes a lot of bravery to step into a new version of yourself. So good for you. So let's talk about the different styles of meditation that are happening at Mindful, the different lineages that you have represented through your teachers. How many teachers do you guys have on the roster? We have 27 expert teachers. They're all certified. We represent all major schools of Buddhism, Vedic meditation teachers, Kundalini meditation teachers, um, Zen meditation teachers. Um, We also have teachers who are trained secularly through the Interdependence Project. Have you sat in on every single teacher's class I have not sat in on every single teacher's class, but I have sat in on most. Okay. And so what are you learning through that? Because I'm really fascinated because I'm a total meditation snob. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I think that some are better for certain people than others. Mm. I think some are better for certain times than others. Mm. So you probably are one of the world's leading experts in all the different traditions and lineages at this point because you're experiencing it day in and day Mm. out. So talk to me. What are you seeing are the similarities? What are the differences in these different styles? Yeah, I'm just going to start out by saying that I always want to take the Kundalini class, which is on Tuesdays, and I I can't take that class because our studio manager is out on Tuesdays, so I always listen to them chanting. I'm not a meditation expert at all. I am a lover and a practitioner of meditation. I am not a meditation teacher, and so I experience those styles as a beginner, Um, especially if I haven't experienced them before. That's why I have Lodro, because I knew that to create mindful, if I wanted to do it the right way with total integrity, I needed someone who was actually an expert in the field to choose the instructors and vet the teachers and, you know, make sure what we were offering was always a traditional practice just in an accessible manner. I know Lojo's been a guest on Untangle, but just in case people haven't listened to that yeah. episode, you know, Lojo's your co-founder. He's yeah. also a Buddhist meditation teacher, yeah. been practicing Buddhism since he was five and a total delight of a human. Yeah, he's best. <laughs> yeah, so, so beautiful. So I just wanted, and, and actually I just want to say that I think of all of the studios that are opening, I think you guys have a, These are my opinion, this beautiful, perfect union of passion and business acumen, but also tradition and teaching and steeped in in these in the purity of the meditation practices. And I think it's a a lovely like right brain, left brain combo. And I think it's one of the contributing factors to your success. Thank you. One hundred percent. I mean, it is so it's such a yes, I agree. It's such a perfect marriage. And we are so complimentary. I can't do what he does. He can't do what I can do. And, and it's been, I feel so, yeah, so fortunate. What you said is so, so true. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is even as a connoisseur of Mm -hmm. meditation, or even as a student of meditation, I still think you're in a unique position, Mm -hmm. because you've experienced so many different teachers and styles. What are you seeing as the unity? What are you seeing as the divergence? Yeah, I think certain styles 
um, have different effects, you know, on the body. Like a perfect example is a super real world example. Lodro practices Shambhala. He's from the Shambhala Buddhist lineage, okay? And a lot of his work is is mindfulness work. And, and, and he does a lot of shamatha, which is calm abiding meditation. Calm abiding meditation. meditation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Lodro is big into the simple breath practice. He loves to tell people to start with breath practice. I like to tell people to start with like a loving kindness or mindful emotions where you're sort of maybe recall, you know, thinking about um, a positive mem- memory and then comparing it to the sensation in your body of, of like a negative memory. So like it depends on who's teaching because our classes are interesting. Like the way Lodro teaches mindful breath is really different than the way our Kundalini teacher Aaron Teach would teach mindful breath. When when people are using the word meditation mm-hmm. right now, I yes. think a lot of people think that it's all the same thing. Oh, it's that, not. That there's just yeah. one <laughs> one thing that is mm-hmm. meditation. Mm-hmm. And I really want to shine a light on the fact that there are thousands of different styles of meditation. And because you're getting to experience these different teachers and lineages, what feels the same? What feels different? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you describe the differences? Yeah. So so thank you. I'm going back to my story about Lodro. The way Lodro approaches his email inbox for me is a direct result of the type of meditation he practices. Lodro can sit for one hour, undisturbed, totally focused, and move through 150 emails. I've never seen anything like it in my whole life. His le- his ability to just focus and give his complete awareness and attention to something is like that moment, and we've talked about this before, is the difference between our meditation styles. For me, I'm a Vedic meditation practitioner, and my style is much more about deep bliss and relaxation. So I do it to take a nap on some level, you know, yeah, you to like to replenish, to, to feel deep, deep, deep relaxation and rest. Um, and I have a much more like that email will happen at the right time when it needs to happen. And I will get back to that email and it's okay if I can't focus on it. I might not be able to focus on an email for a hundred emails for one and a half hours, but like I'm feeling charmed to go over here and do this instead of my emails or whatever it is. I don't know if that's like, I'm a little bit more relaxed about there's more of a surrender, more, more of a, a flow. surrender. Thank you, more of a flow. And I know that that sounds insane that I'm using email as an example for it, but but my the style I practice isn't about focus. It's not necessarily about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It's about relaxation and, and surrender and connecting. And um, and sometimes I'm envious that I don't practice mindfulness meditation when I'm, when we're running a business because I see it help Lodro every single day. You know. Let's see who who else. I love Sarah Oster's sound meditation. So the Tibetan singing bowls um, and just allowing that sort of sound vibration to interact with your body and find deep relaxation. I love Joshua B's class. Joshua B. Alafia. Um, he's from the Insight School, and he just has this gravitas and this presence in the room and this knowledge and so open hearted and kind and gentle. And I really enjoy his very simple breath practice. So I would say, you know, the difference between mindfulness, which is basically a directed focus style of meditation, and sometimes we're directing that focus on the breath, or sometimes it's on a flame or we're counting, that's different than what's happening in in Vedic meditation or like a self-induced transcendence, because what we do is a little bit more about letting go and giving the body rest. Both are beautiful. And actually, you know, Patricia and I have been talking about this, about how it might be a bit of like cross-training for the mind, Mm. that that might be next phase of meditation, Mm. you know, where, yes, we have multiple practices. And maybe you, yes, you start your day with Vedic meditation, but then at some point you do a bit of mindfulness like Lodro so you can power through your emails and that it becomes a bit more like, well, what do I need for this moment in time? Talk to me about 
the people who've been coming in. Is there any one story or one person that really warms your heart when you think about them? I mean, I know the people you said, I've never been able to have a committed practice, but mm. is there is there one specific story where you're like, whoa, this thing has really changed this person's life? Actually, there's this like crew of men who had no, went to college together who know each other. Um, and I'm not going to presume to to guess their age. <laughs> um, but anyways, they've been coming really since day one and they're all friends and they all say hi to each other. And we went to brunch with one of them um, that Lodra and I have become super close with. And he just said, thank you so much. I'm a better person. I'm a better husband. Um, it's completely changed my life. And what you guys are doing is incredible. And so that for me was, you know, that's that's a highlight. In the last five months, that's a major highlight. I know your personal practice, right? Because you're doing, you know, your 20 minutes twice a day of Ziva meditation, and then you're doing sitting in on classes here and there. But talk to me about big picture, your personal, like, spiritual journey. Like, what are you working on big picture right now um, as a human person? Mm. Well, I, talk, I, I think we've talked about this before. You know, I think life is a little bit like a video game, and the levels get harder. They don't get easier, but your tools get stronger, um, and you learn things in the previous levels. So when you advance through the game, um, you know, you can use the tools that you learned in the earlier level or the tools you're currently learning. I like this analogy because if you forget something super simple you learned in an earlier level, you have to go back, replay that level, get that tool again and reapply it to whatever <laughs> level you're playing. Um, and I don't know if that's an analogy that resonates with many people, but it certainly resonates with me. To close this out, what would you say to someone who wants to meditate but just thinks that they don't really have time or they don't know how to make it a priority? What would you say to that person? I would say that meditation dramatically changed my relationship to time. And my understanding of time is totally, at least from my own experience, is totally different. I'm not racing against a clock for the most part any time. And I found a lot of relief in that. And um, if you gave meditation a try, maybe, maybe you would find the same, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes I think creating space in your life is so important because something will drop in. Like if you are living your life and you're like, I can't, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. If you removed one thing, just one thing that's currently in the schedule and made space, all of a sudden you would have time for the thing you didn't have time for. So I think it's just a choice to sit down and, and, and start a practice. Mm -hmm. And it's brought me a lot of joy. And I would hope for that person, it would bring them a lot of joy too. Yeah, thank you for being here and thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh. It's really important and the ripple effect of it is going to be very great. It already is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to Emily and Ellie and thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about the Mindful Studio, go to mindfulmeditation.com. That's M-N-D-F-L meditation.com. We look forward to sharing more inspiring stories on our next episode. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at untangle at And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio by Gaim in the App Store. See you next time.